Matthew chapter 7, that's where we're going to be at this morning, continuing our series in the Sermon on the Mount, titled An Elevated Life, and uh, I have some encouragement for you this morning, alright? Everybody good with that? A little encouragement? Uh, so this week, I Tuesday this week, I went to the uh, Kentucky Baptist Convention annual state meeting, all the Southern Baptist churches in Kentucky, it's kind of the big, honestly, it's a lot of business, you know, not the most exciting of, of places to go, but I went because I'm your representative, one of your representatives, and, uh, but one of the things that happened there is uh, Valley Creek was recognized for, over the, the history of our time in the, the uh, as part of the KBC and, and giving to the cooperative program, uh, Valley Creek, as of this year, has given over $2 million to the cooperative program. So that's you, all right? That's you. You did that. All right, if you don't know what any of that language means, when you give generously to the church, uh, that money goes to do a variety of things, yes, around here, uh, but we also, like our church gives, we, we tithe. And so part of that goes to the cooperative program. All the money we give to the cooperative program goes towards planning churches, sending missionaries, disaster relief work, I mean, a gazillion different things. Uh, and, and over the course of our history doing that, over I don't know how many years uh, now, over $2 million. And so that's exciting, right? Um, all right, now that the encouragement's out of the way, I'm kidding. We're going to be fine. All right, we're going to be fine. Um, <clears throat> my senior year of high school, uh, I won't tell you when that was because that... Last year. No, no. So, some of you will make you, might make you feel older than you want to feel this morning. Uh, my senior year of high school, I had some friends that went on a mission trip to Panama. And I mean like Panama, the, the country, not like Redneck Riviera, Florida. You know what I mean? No offense. I, hey, I went to Panama City growing up, so I can say that. Uh, but went to the country of Panama in, in uh, Central America. And uh, I, I was not able to go on the trip, but one of my good friends brought back a, uh, a souvenir. Actually, it was more than a souvenir. It was a Panamanian guitar, all right? Uh, I mean, beautiful, like handcrafted, hand-painted. I mean, it was like really like nice-looking guitar. It was a classical style. I don't know if that means anything to you, so it had like nylon strings. Uh, and, and like I said, I wasn't on the trip, but I heard afterwards that like when he bought this thing, like he like never let go of it the rest of the trip. Just hung on to it. Uh, even on the ride home on the plane, he, he used that, like that was his, his carry-on item, was his Panamanian guitar, which had to be miserable for the person sitting next to him, I would imagine. Um, but if my memory serves me right, I don't remember the exact order of events, but I know that sometime after that, um, that Panamanian guitar, uh, beautiful, handcrafted, hand-painted as it was, uh, ended up not being what he thought it was. Right. To be more specific, uh, there, was, there was some time after that where uh, my friend was kind of looking at this guitar. He's checking it out, and he's looking inside the sound hole, the little hole in the inside of the guitar. And, and he realizes there's, there's a label in there that has three words that just crushed him. <laughs> Made in China. <laughs> His authentic, handcrafted Panamanian guitar was mass-produced somewhere in a factory in China, shipped to, to Panama, and then he bought it there. So 
If you're wondering what a Panamanian guitar has to do with Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to try to connect the dots for you. All right? Let's look at it together. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 15. These are the words of the Lord. Here's what Jesus says. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So to kind of reorient us where we are in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus has turned the corner, headed towards home. We've got just a few more verses in the Sermon on the Mount uh, before he drops the mic and walks off. And so uh, what he ends the Sermon on the Mount with here is a warning. Actually, the, the whole Sermon on the Mount is ended with a series of warnings. Like right before this, there's uh, a couple of verses where Jesus is warning uh, about the, uh, the wide gate. He talks about the narrow gate, but he warns against this wide gate that many will go down that leads to destruction. And then after these verses that we just read, uh, he talks about uh, the warning of, of being a false disciple. Right? There will be many on the last day who will say, right, call him Lord, and, and he will say, depart from me, I did not, I don't know you. Right? I think that's some of the most terrifying verses in the Bible, uh, but that's subject for another day. <clears throat> and then, so you got the warning about, uh, the, the wide gate, you've got the warning about being a false disciple. And then after that, spoiler alert, we'll talk about this next week. You've got this warning about building your life on uh, something that will not stand. Right? Building your life on something <clears throat> excuse me, other than the Word of God. And so uh, he ends the, the Sermon on the Mount with a series of warnings. But here, the warning is specifically about the presence uh, or, or, or danger of false prophets False teachers. And so when we talk about false prophets, false teachers, um, we're talking about those that, that dangerously distort the Word of God, um, who, who do, in, in distorting the Word of God, deceive others, right, and, uh, and, and lead others to believe lies or untruths about God. That's what we talk about. That's what we mean when we say false prophets and false teachers. And though uh, Jesus warns against them here. This is not the first time we see false prophets or false teachers pop up in Scripture. In fact, we could go all the way back to Genesis. Right? Genesis 3. The serpent shows up in the garden. Adam and Eve are doing their thing, living life. right? And the serpent shows up and he, he finds Eve vulnerable and alone. And he says, hey... Did God actually say that you could not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, if you go back a few verses, that's not what God said at all. Right? He said, you may eat of any tree in the garden except this one tree. But then Satan, in the form of a serpent, shows up with, like, begins breathing lies. Right? So we see false teaching happening Genesis 3. And, I mean, it's been happening ever since. You read through the Old Testament. There's constant warnings about those who would uh, teach God's word falsely or, or false prophets, those who spoke on behalf of God. 
The the books of uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel are are like firm in calling out these false prophets. There was uh, prophets in that day, like to set a little bit of context around that, the the Israelites had been living in sin and rebellion with, with no repentance. And so God was going to judge them. Like Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. And yet there's these false prophets on the scene that are saying, hey, everything's fine. I know the world's burning around you, but it's all good. Right? God's fine. He's happy with you. You don't need to do anything different. Right? And so you've got Ezekiel and Jeremiah that are just calling these prophets out. Like, don't believe their lies. They are deceptive. And then, uh, not only you fast forward to the pages of the New Testament, you've got Jesus, uh, both before the Sermon on the Mount, after the Sermon on the Mount, confronting Pharisees, religious leaders, who, who sort of hypocritically distort God's Word, distort uh, what it means to, to live in obedience to God's law. And then you go uh, beyond the Gospels. You, you get to Paul's letters in the New Testament, his letters to the churches. And in, in almost every letter, Paul has to address some sort of distorted teaching that has popped up in one of the churches that he's loved and ministered to uh, as, as he's planted those kind of around uh, the area there. Right? And then you fast forward again, you get to the book of Revelation. I keep going this way. I think I'm going backwards in time. I think this is the direction I need to be moving. All right. You get to the book of Revelation. And uh, John is, is kind of revealing this revelation to these churches, uh, the seven churches. And he says specifically to the church in Ephesus that uh, he, he commends them for their ability to spot false teachers and for their unwillingness to put up with them. Right? Like that's, that's a legit church, man. Right? That, you know, somebody comes in preaching wonky stuff, they're like, nope, you're going to need to see yourself out. Right? So, so all throughout the Bible, here's what I want you to see. This is not a, a new, unique thing. It happened before Jesus announces it. Jesus announces it here. Watch out. Beware. beware. It happened after this. Right? Um, and so at least part of what this warning for us means, right? Beware of false prophets. Beware of false teachers is we actually have to acknowledge that they really exist. Right? It, it really exists. Like I said, it happened Old Testament. It happened in Jesus' day. It happened after Jesus' day. It's still happening today. False teaching, distorting the truth of God's word um, in a variety of ways. But here's what I want you to see is, is it doesn't just happen out there, like in some sort of faraway, distant place. Right, because look at Jesus' words again, verse 15. He's talking to his disciples. Right? Beware of false prophets who come to you. Right? They come to you. They're not just sort of this ethereal thing we should be careful about that's out in the world somewhere. Like These are men that will come to you teaching false things. Right? He says to them, pay attention. Be on the lookout. This is the kind of stuff that's happening around you. That's what he's telling. Beware of false prophets. We see this, uh, see the same thing in Paul's warning to the church in Ephesus. Right? I, I've told you guys before, I love the church in Ephesus. I think it's, it's fascinating, beautiful. Um, but Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in Acts 20. There's a scene where Paul has he's given uh, at least three years of his life to the church in Ephesus. And he's about to jump on a ship, sail for Jerusalem, uh, and so he's going to give these guys some last words. 
knowing, the text says it multiple times, knowing he'll never see them again. Right? It's one of those passages like if I'm in the right mood, if I'm off in my feels, like my allergies get active whenever I read this passage. Right? He knows he's never going to see them again, and so he gives them a warning, final instructions. Now, what do you tell somebody if you know you're never going to see them again? You tell them some pretty important stuff, right? Like this, you're never going to hear from me again. I want you to hear my final words. Here's Paul's final words to them. He says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And listen to this. This is verse 29 of Acts 20. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Like, I don't know if you caught that or not, but Paul's not only saying like, hey, look out, the wolves are coming, but he actually says, hey, they might already be among you. Like, and our initial reaction to that is like, hold on a second. What? Like, what do you mean they're... What do you mean these false prophets, false teachers <clears throat> draw near? Like, what, do you, what do you mean they might already be among us? Right? And Jesus answers the question right, in verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, right, in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Right? In other words, they're deceptive. Right? They... They blend in. They, they might even go unnoticed for a while. Right? That's, how they, that's how they come in among us. Right? And here's how Paul describes the presence of false teachers to a, a different church, the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 through 15. Paul says, For, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In, in other words, uh, false teachers don't advertise themselves. Right? Like false teachers are not going to show up here with, with a t-shirt on and big bold block letters. It's like, hi. I'm a false teacher. Right, we've got our welcome team here. They've got the lanyards on, you know, the, so you can identify them when you show up. False teachers that show up, man, they ain't wearing lanyards. Right, they, they go under the radar, right? deceptive, unnoticed. And that, and that, should, that should cause us to sit up and lean forward a little bit. right? Like one of my worries, and I think one of the things that's so easy to happen is, is we get so, like, focused on and caught up in like what's like the, the absurd nonsense that's going on out there and there is nonsense going on out there that we just like let our guard down and what happens in here right there's a there's a danger to that it's it's easy to to overlook the possibility that there could be a deceptive dangerous distortion of God's word that could happen even am, among us 
Right? And, and listen, it's not lost on me that I'm standing here with a microphone strapped to my face. I'm t- telling you to be careful about false teachers. And some of you guys are maybe like, what about you, man? Right? Listen, I, I want you to know I take what I do seriously. Like, I, I really do. I, I was up at 4 o'clock this morning trying to hammer some of this stuff out. Right? So I take it seriously. I feel the weight every week of James's warning in James 3. Where he says, and you want to teach? You don't know if you want to sign up for that or not because you're going to be judged with more strictness. I feel the weight of that. And it's not lost on me that I'm the teacher standing up here telling you about, hey, look out for false teachers. So how do you know that you can trust me? That's a question you should ask. Right? You shouldn't just assume that someone with a microphone strapped to their face knows what they're talking about. You shouldn't just assume that the dude on the Facebook video knows what he's talking about. You shouldn't just assume that the guy on YouTube knows what he's talking about. So how do you know? Right? How do you know you can trust me or any teacher for that matter? Right? And, and that's what Jesus gets to in verse 16. Let's read it again. It says, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So a little bit of sort of context here. There was... In Jesus' day, there, kind of around first century Jerusalem and that, that area, uh, there was a plant called the buckthorn. Okay? And it still exists today in various parts of the world. Um, so it's a thorn bush, but on that thorn bush, there are some, some small, like dark berries. And from a distance, they could be confused for grapes. Right? But you get closer and you realize oh, those are not grapes at all. That's not, that's not real fruit. I'll take that back. It is a, a fruit, but you read about like what happens if you eat one of these things, it does not sound pleasant. Okay? Right? And, and along the same lines, Jesus talks about figs from thistles. There was uh, flowers on, on certain thistles uh, that resembled kind of the flowering buds on a fig tree. But over time, as those developed and bloomed and what you realize is that's actually not a, right, that's not the flower from a fig tree at all. It's something totally different. Right? And the, the, the point is that uh, proximity and time reveal the true fruit or lack thereof from this thorn bush, from this fig tree. And the same is true when it comes to the fruit of a, of a teacher. Right? Proximity and time are going to reveal. Uh, their, their fruit, whether, whether their message is a real message or a counterfeit message. And because the, the, the phrase here that's mentioned twice is you will recognize them by their fruits. And so what kind of fruits are we, are we talking about here? I want kind of two things on your radar. Uh, the, the fruit that comes from their teaching 
and the fruit that comes from their lives. All right, so let's talk about the first one, the fruit that comes from their teaching. When you're identifying someone by their fruit, you're trying to discern, assess, is this this a message I should listen to? Is this someone I should listen to? First, you got to ask, is their message consistent with the whole counsel of God? All right, if I went back to that passage in Acts 20 that I referenced earlier, one of the things that Paul says uh, before he warns them about these false teachers, he says, hey, I did not shrink back. I did not refrain from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I laid it all open before you for you to see. Right? He preached what, what he preached, the message he preached to the Ephesians was, was I, want you to, I want you to see it all. I want you to see all of God's plan of redemption. I'm I'm not picking and choosing just what I want you to hear to the exclusion of of something else. So when you're considering the pattern of someone's teaching or the fruit of someone's teaching, does it over time reveal to be consistent with Scripture? Does it conform to the, the pattern of Scripture? Or does it emphasize certain things, overly emphasize certain things, to the exclusion of other things. And and listen, I'm not talking about just one sermon, right? I hope you don't judge me on one sermon, right? Some of you, I've laid some duds here, all right? Today might be one of them, we'll see, all right? But I'm talking about over the the scope, over the span of, of time, like, is the message consistent with the, the contours of Scripture? Right? Or, do, or does the, their teaching take away from Scripture? Does their teaching add to Scripture things that, that very clearly are, are not part of the book? Right? We're talking about judging the fruit of, of their teaching. Right? Does, it, does it promote some sort of... Does it, does it take... Uh, the Word of God and twist it and distort it to, to promote some sort of agenda. Right? You will know them by their fruits. Is it the kind of teaching that panders to the crowd? Right? A message that you love to preach just because you know love, people love to hear it, even though it's inconsistent with what the Word of God would say. Right? You will know them by their fruit. Another good question to ask is you evaluate someone's preaching, their teaching, is just simply how, ask yourself, how central is Jesus in their teaching? How central is the good news of Jesus? Because when we talk about, right, Paul talked about preaching the whole counsel of God, right, all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus. Right? All of it is. Right, the Old Testament points forward to Jesus. Right, this promised Messiah who's going to come, take away the sins of the world. We're entering the Christmas season. We're going to celebrate, right, waiting and anticipating. That's what the Old Testament is. You get to the, the Gospels, and this is uh, the explanation of Jesus' life, his perfect life in our place, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave to prove that he was more powerful than sin and death and hell in the grave. Right, You get... On past the Gospels, Paul's letters in the New Testament, Peter's letters in the New Testament, right? Looks back on what Jesus did, what he accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection, 
And it informs us how we live differently or respond uh, to it. Right? How, we, how, we, how our lives look different because of what Jesus did. The whole counsel of God is about Jesus. Right? That's, that's, the, that's the Bible. With the Bible in a nutshell, it's this. That God saves man from sin through Jesus Christ, the Savior. There's your one-sentence synopsis of the Bible. Now, you should still read it for yourself, but that's it, right? If the problem of sin and the promise of salvation in Jesus Christ alone is not a, a consistent central theme in someone's teaching, like you should throw the flag on that. That's a sports reference. Some of you guys, I don't know if you're sports people or not. That's just, that's all I got, all right? Sports, parenting, music, those are the only illustrations I'm good for, okay? Um, anyways, so we talked about fruit of their teaching. Let's, let's talk about the fruit of teacher's life, okay? Here's the question. Is his life, is his life, being conformed into the image of Christ as revealed in the Scripture. Now, here's what I'm not saying. Is he perfect? I'm just going to let you know a secret that you already know. There are no perfect pastors. There are no perfect preachers. There are no perfect teachers. Right, but, but is his life, the one you're listening to, is his life increasingly being conformed into the image of Christ? Is, is there an evidence of what Paul would call the fruit of the Spirit? Right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I probably forgot one. Goodness. Are those like, does his life, are there evidences of those things growing in his life? Again, not that he's perfect, May not be there yet. He won't be there yet. Right? This side of glory, ain't none of us getting there yet. But there should be an increase in those things. Right? Because I mean, a, a life that gives no evidence of, of growing in the fruit of the Spirit is a life that has not been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? And, and a life that has not been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ that's a voice like you don't need to be listening to when it comes to your spiritual formation. Right? So, the fruit of his teaching, the fruit of his life. So we got, let's recap here. So Jesus gives us the warning, beware of false prophets. Then he gives us the means by which we identify these false teachers, false prophets, and that's... Uh, Recognizing them by their fruits, right? Assessing, evaluating what we see in their teaching and in their lives. Uh, but the real question is, what do you do with that this morning? Right? Like, where's the application? And part of my job as your pastor is to hopefully give you something each week that has handles on it. You're like, okay, I know what to do with that now. Again, some weeks I think I do that. Some weeks I walk out of here and I'm like, oh, like to have a do-over on that one. But I'm going to try to give you some handles to this, right? Here's what I've got for you. The warning to beware of false prophets begins 
with you being proactive. Right? Proactive. And here's what I mean by that. Let me give you two things. One, know the word. You need to know the word. Right? One, of, one of the best ways to identify something that is counterfeit is to be so familiar with the real thing that when something doesn't line up with the real thing, like there's some antennas, you're like, wait a second, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't look right. That doesn't sound right. That's not consistent with. Right? <clears throat> In order to identify someone that does not rightly handle, teach, preach, proclaim the word, you've got to know the word. Right? And listen, I love to preach. I love to teach. I love to study. I am a nerd. I am. I just got nice new bookshelves in my office. I can't wait to like put all my books on them. I'm really excited about it. Way more excited than I should be. I love it. I, like, it is a privilege to stand here and teach you week in and week out. It's one that I do not take for granted. But I want to love you enough to tell you that if this 30 to 40 minutes each week is all the time you're spending in the Word, you're not going to know the Word. You're not going to know it. If we took it in another realm, right? If you had one meal each week, there is no way that your body would be strong enough or have any sort of immunity to fight off illness, disease, right? Things that would, would bring harm and danger to you. Right? If you had one meal a week, like you're in trouble. And, and the same thing applies when it comes to knowing the word. If, if this is your only time in the week that you've got your, your Bible open and you're looking at it to be like, what is in here for me? If this is the only time you do that during the week, it's not enough. And I don't say that to heap up like guilt on you. I'm just saying like, hey, course correction. Create some space in your life, some, some margin. You can spend more time in God's word. And maybe you're here and you're like, okay, I get it. I need to do that. I have no idea where to start. Do I just like flip it open and find something and start reading? Or what do I do? Right? That's a great question. Right? If, if, this is, if this is new to you, and here's what I would, I would submit. Uh, we have things, our church makes things available to you. We have daily devotions that you can sign up for on our website. Just go to vcbc.org, find the little link, sign up for the, to receive daily devotions. And each week, here's what we're doing right now, we're going through the New Testament one chapter at a time. All right, so each day, five days a week, one chapter each day. You even get like the weekends off to catch up because don't pretend like you don't fall behind. Right? You, so you, you read the passage. One of us on staff has written a devotional about that. And you can kind of see, like, okay, all right, there's something here. I can, I can do something with this. Right? It's not groundbreaking, but it's just it's a way to create that habit of, of getting in God's Word on a consistent basis, feeding your soul right, consistently, right? bringing nourishment to your soul. Right? There's... There's apps you can download on your phone to, to read through different reading plans in the Bible. There are apps you can download on your phone that will read the Bible to you. All right? If you just want to go like entry level here, like I'm just going to play this while I drive, while I mow the yard, 
I guess we're not doing that anymore. Whatever you do, work out. Right? There, are, there are options. Right? I would even say this too. If you're here and you don't own a Bible, when you leave, stop by the info center. We will put one in your hand. Just take it and go. It's yours. Merry Christmas. Right? right? Just, it's this important. If you're going to spot false teaching, you've got to know the Word. And to know the Word, you've got to get in the Word. All right, so know the Word is your first point of application. Here's the second one. Live in community. Right? Live in community. You've, how many of you guys have ever heard the phrase, there's safety in numbers? Yeah? That's just, side note, this is my philosophy when it comes to driving on the interstate. To surround myself with other people that are also breaking the speed limit. Because my theory is you can't pull us all over. Odds are in my favor. Okay, back on track. Um, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but Ephesians 4. Right, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. Have I told you I'd love the church in Ephesus yet? Uh, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he's in chapter 4. He's writing about how the church operates, how it functions when, when everybody's doing their part. And one of the things he said is that when the church is working properly, the church actually builds itself up. It protects itself. Right? Kind of like your, your body does its own thing. I'm not, I'm not that kind of doctor. Your body does things all right, that build up your own immunity and fight off infections. That's what the body of Christ does. We exist in community with one another. Right? It's, it's in that community. One of the things that happens is we're able to spot things that are Hey, that's not true. That's not consistent with the word. Right? We're, 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 there's safety in numbers when it comes to the body of Christ. Right? And I'm, I don't mean like we'd be better off if we just had a bunch of people in this room. That's not what I mean. Like, we've got to get in community with one another where we can sit across from one another, face to face with one another, and say, hey, uh, help me understand this. Right? We strengthen one another. We challenge one another. We hold one another accountable. We correct one another. Right? All these things are what happen in the context of, of community. There's safety in numbers. There used to be a video that I would show in youth group that would have like this lion that was trying to attack like a water buffalo or something. Uh, and he thinks he's got him, right? He's off by himself. But as soon as he goes after him, there's like... 15 other water buffalo that come after him and just chase the lion away. Like, that's how this works in the church. All right, it's in community that we are far less susceptible to falling prey to the enemy. All right, so, so what does that look like? Well, we have a life group that meets before this service at 9 o'clock every Sunday. I invite you to, to take part in that. Maybe It doesn't have to be formal. Maybe it's something as simple as is consistently meeting with a brother or sister for, for coffee or for lunch or, or just agreeing that you're going to read, read a, the Bible together and uh, maybe even read a book about the Bible together. Like There are a million different ways this could look. I'm not being legalistic about it, but I think what is important is that you get in community with some people right, that can strengthen you and encourage you and build you up and hold you accountable right, so, that, so that you... Uh, and they are less susceptible to falling prey to 
false teaching. But here's what I want to end with this morning. A sober warning from Peter. Right, this is 2 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> he says, But false prophets also rose, arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. The warning is real. Beware of false prophets. And so the application is just be proactive. Know the word. Live in community. And then we pray and fight for one another. Right? Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we want to um, take your word seriously this morning. When, when you give us this warning to, uh, to beware of false prophets and false teaching, I pray that's a warning we would take seriously. Uh, guard us from falling into the, uh, the, the thought that it's only something that's out there, far away, on the other side of the world. Lord, give us a, a diligence uh, to make sure, Lord, that the, the voices that we're listening to, that the, uh, the teaching, uh, the influences that we're allowing to shape our lives, give us eyes to see. Lord, make us determined to make sure that the, the message that we give our lives to is consistent with what you have revealed in your scriptures. Father, make us into a church that that loves your word. Lord, make us into a people that are, that are not just content to come have a meal on a Sunday morning, but, but throughout the week, Lord, make us hungry for your word, that we might know it, that we might be able to, to identify what is true and right so that, that anything that might push against that or lead us away from that, that we be able to spot it quickly. And Father, I pray that you would unite us together as a community that is determined to strengthen one another, to build up one another, to reinforce one another, to hold one another accountable, to live lives that are consistent and conformed to your word. So Father, would you lead us? Would you guide us? We pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.